Welcome in to another episode of ESPN's Ball in the Real World podcast. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, and we have got a good one today. A two-parter. First up, I'm going to catch up with Australian Opals star, Kayla George. Kayla's always awesome to talk to, and the Opals have just wrapped up a three-game series against Japan. Plenty of new faces, plenty of veterans to come back into this team with the WNBA stars overseas and uh, playing elsewhere internationally. So we'll break down everything Opals related as the countdown continues to the FIBA Women's World Cup, which is going to be in Sydney in September. And then following up from that, DJ Vasiljevic, who has just signed a nice new deal with the Sydney Kings in the NBL. Uh, Of course, the defending champions. He's got plans to head to the Summer League. Of course, it was a big year for DJ coming back from a ruptured Achilles as well. So Kayla first, then we'll get to DJ, but this is a really cool podcast, a fun two-parter. Let's get into it. Joining us now, one of the stars of the Opals, and uh, I mean this in the best way, one of the veterans of the Opals, one that's uh, been around for a number of major tournaments now. Always a pleasure to catch up with Kayla George. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I I did just ask you this, but you've just come off three games in quick succession, and it actually always feels like this when you girls get together, but it's so quick. So you have to figure out some sort of quick training camp and then knock out a few games and then move on to whatever is next. But how are you feeling and how did you find uh, this little mini uh, period of time with the girls? Yeah, I think, um, like I just said to you, I, uh, I'm pretty tired, but as to be expected, I think everyone was pretty fatigued. Um, after a solid 10 days, we had fitness testing, a three or four day little camp, and then um, obviously the three game series against probably the quickest team in the world. <laughs> so um, I think we had some great some great um, moments in the games. And obviously with the two losses and even the win, there's always stuff to look back on and work on and get better at. And and as I mentioned to you, there's seven players to still come into the fold to, for selection. Um, so I think it just gave a lot of the young ones a lot of opportunity to have that international experience um, and put their hand up for selection. Like, Sandy, here I am. This is what I can do. So uh, I did say you've been uh, with the team for a number of major tournaments now. And if you, and if you think about it, you had the uh, well. this is just the last few years. So you had the World Cup 2018, uh, Asia, Asia Cup 2019, then you went into the Olympics, should have been 2020, and now you have this. So you really haven't had uh, much of a break at all. But this one is a little bit different being here. Uh, does it feel for you and perhaps some of the other girls that you've, you've been in these tournaments with, does this feel a little bit different, the fact that this World Cup will be at home? Is there added excitement? There's definitely added excitement, but it's a little bit surreal still. And I think we got a taste and the fans got a taste um, throughout this series um, but I think like the magnitude of of what is actually happening in September probably won't hit me until maybe after. Um, so, um, yeah, the last time that Australia played uh, at a World Cup in Australia was in 1994 and our head coach Sandy was a part of that. So it's actually like a really big deal. Sorry, I've got people working at the back and they are just... <laughs> sorry, I'm so sorry. Let me just shut the door. I'm so sorry. Is that like, by the way, is that like a, uh, is that a leaf blower I can hear? Because by the way, uh, I'm not sure if it is, but I just want to say this. It's one thing that I always say, anytime you want to do any type of podcast, someone in the area wants to pull out a leaf blower. It's just the rules. Yeah, either it's either that or my dogs go off and they start barking and I'm puppy sitting my mum's dog today. So I've got five dogs here, like three snags and two huskies. So they've actually been pretty tame so far. Um, but yeah, sorry, back to the question. I think it won't hit me until like, is it still really loud? I'm so sorry. No, it's fine. It's fine. Okay. Um, yeah, it won't hit me till probably after upon reflecting on it um, because right now we're just in prep and it felt really good to play on home soil and I was really fortunate in 2018 to play at the Com Games as well on home soil. So that was, like, so exciting. Um, and, like, I mean, in your Opals career, you never really anticipate that you get to play on home soil. So the fact that I got to do it at the Com Games through this series and then also possibly at the World Cup uh, come September. It's just, it's actually, it's crazy to think about and to have my families there, my family, like from my husband's side and, and you know, my 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 mum and dad and my little sister and my big sister potentially as well. It's just like unreal. They've not really got to see too many of my international games um, just, you know, purely because they've been overseas or there's been COVID or, or whatever. So it is a really exciting time and um, I think the community really got around us, especially in Newcastle. It was a really great turnout in Newcastle. It was like over 2,500 people there. 
so yeah, I mean, it's huge. Uh, I, you mentioned some of the young girls that played and I was watching the post game the other night and Annalie Maley had her interview and she was like, I don't, she shouldn't have been by the way, but she was apologetic. She said, I'm just rambling a little bit here. But the one thing that you could clearly tell was that she was incredibly excited to play for the Opals for the first time. And so for you, you mentioned, and there was a bunch of them that uh, not necessarily for the first time that are sort of newish to the program. So as uh, someone that has been through it for a while, and I'm sure remembers the first time you played for the Opals, uh, what is it like when you see these young girls like Annalie Maley come in that are, that are clearly, you know, achieving something they've thought about for a long time? Yeah, I think it kind of brings me back down to like um, never taking it for granted. Not that I ever take it for granted, but in those moments, especially like before the game when Annalie's like, yeah, I had a big cry today. It's like a dream come true. Amazing. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, oh my gosh, it's huge. The green and gold, what an honour. And, you know, I when I was younger, I wanted to be an Opal too and I wanted to go to an Olympics and I wanted to do great things with the Opals team. And um, when I was coming through, there were so many bigs ahead of me um, when I was coming through the AIS, like, you know, Nat Porter was in it, Emma Randall, Holly Grimer, Susie Bakovic, Lauren Jack. There were so many bigs. It was very big dominant and now it's very guard dominant. So, um, yeah, look, I it's... When Annalise says those things, it just brings me back to a moment of, wow, like this is so special. And actually, um, I got a bit emotional in that anthem after Annalise told me that because it, not that I forget, I always love playing for the green and gold and I know how special it is, but even more so when, you know, you've got the young ones like Annalise and like Jade Melbourne who haven't really been a part of, and Bet Cole and Steph Reed. I mean, Steph Reed posted a photo of her and Michelle Timms when she was at a t- Michelle Timms. <laughs> She was like a young tacker and then like, you know, years later she's getting a jersey from her, like unreal full circle moments. Like I had, you know, on my school books in 2004, I had the Athens Olympic team and then years later Sandy's my coach at Logan, then she's my coach with Opals and Phoenix Mercury. Susie Bakovic was on that fold and I won three championships with her. Trish Fallon, she's our team manager for Opals. You know, Lauren Jackson, I got to play with her right before she retired from the Opals in 2013 in that New Zealand series. Got to play with Penny Taylor, you know, like just massive full circle moments. And Lauren and Penny in particular were my idols growing up, like my absolute Aussie idols, like just completely in awe of them. And and to be captained by Penny in 2014 at the World Cup and then 2016 in Rio was just incredible. Um, obviously, Lauren, you know, unfortunately had to, you know, call her career short with the Opals in 2013. So that was a really tough time for her. But I still got to experience two games there and that was phenomenal. I'm pretty sure... I got like three minutes of court time with her. I had an open layup and I decided to pass to her with three people on her and she yelled at me to shoot it. I was like, oh, duh, obviously. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So like really cool moments. But, um, I mean, I don't know if that will ever happen and someone will have me on their school book and I'll get to play with them. I, you know, I'm 33 years old, so someone would have to have me on their school book pretty soon. Um, <laughs> but maybe my little sister, she's almost 15. We'll see. But she already asked me if she's going to the next Olympics with me. I was like, oh, you'll be about 17 oh maybe oh, we'll see <laughs> uh are you trying to rule out uh 2028 is that is that what you're saying i actually as a <laughs> really challenging as soon as you turn 30 it's like oh kids retirement right, ah. yeah. like, oh, but no i have not ruled out anything i'll be there in 2032 brisbane let's go all right so this so this japan team by the way i mean this is uh, obviously a, a a super competitive team, but they are a team that you are going to face in the World Cup. Yep. And they're also a team that you've you've played a number of times over the last few years. So uh, even though it wasn't a full-strength squad, uh, what are you trying to take out of this, knowing that these are uh, some of the girls on their team and they'll have some some new players come in um, that mm-hmm. you're going to see in a couple of months when it really does matter winning win and losing? Yeah, look, I think we take a lot out of it. Like I said before, I think it came down to opportunity for these young these young cats in the squad to just really, you know, show what they can do and what role they can play and what they can bring to a team. Because essentially people think it's just the 12 best superstars, but you've got to fit a team together. And people have to understand their roles and accept their roles and come in and do those roles really well. We all have to be on the same page. So that's kind of what team selection is about. So you might be able to score a 1,000 points in whatever league you're playing in, but you've got to come in and, like, play a role and fit with the rest of the group. So it's it can be kind of challenging. And I'm glad I'm not in the, 
in the team selection panel because it would be really tough. Um, you got a lot of outside, you know, people saying this person should be in, this person should be in. But at the end of the day, like it's it's a you've got to mold everyone together. And and it's same as the boomers. Like anytime there's selection, someone's always going to miss out. Someone's always going to be annoyed about it. Um, you know, people are always going to keyboard warriors are always going to have their say. But essentially, like it comes down to yeah, molding the best group that can play their role and um, be on the same page together and culturally sound. Um, but also to keep back to your question, um, you know, Japan are missing two of their main players, maybe three. I think it might have just been two. There's one girl playing for Washington at the moment in the WNBA and then their other post player who has got WNBA experience, Ramu Tokashiki. She's six foot four. Um, so they're all missing those two. And like I mentioned before, we're missing seven of the WNBA girls and Tolo Mariana, who's been playing in Europe. Um, so they're, you know, quite heavy into the fold and you know some of the senior players who most likely probably be a part of the, the team come September so um I think you know we probably didn't show all of our cards they probably didn't show all of theirs but I think um essentially it just gives us a good a good um you know bit of video footage to watch in scout before because their style won't really change too much they might have you know some added some added sets and defensive plays but um, I think essentially, you know, how they play defense is, is what we've got to be be ready for. And they're very up and in. And I mean, a lot of them are very handsy. So it's hard for the refs to call five fouls at one time. Um, I think there's a photo of um, game two. I got a tech in game two, which was really shitty of me. Sorry for swearing. Really ordinary of me. But I got hit in the face and there's a photo of the girl's like hand on my <laughs> And I was like, oh, she did foul. I swear I didn't just make it up. Anyways, fouls are missed all the time. Not a problem. Not a problem. The refs are doing great. Um, so, yeah, that's essentially what we got out of it. And I think, you know, we play them, I think, maybe after our day off because we play France first. We play them to the middle of the back end of the tournament. So, I mean, they'll be tough. They play such a fast-paced game. Um, and, you know, bringing in their even quicker point guard who is, I think she has a, a record of 18 assists at the Olympics. So like incredible, incredible vision and facilitating by her. So, um, but we've got incredible guards as well. So I think all in all, very different looking teams coming into September, but also, you know, style of play will be very similar. So good for us to get our, our head around and have some recent footage of them from the games just gone. And I did think that I saw come across my uh, Twitter timeline uh, a little bit earlier today that uh, Tolo may have signed a another deal in Croatia, I, I believe. I thought I saw that. So yeah, uh, she... signed in Corona, which is in Spain. So good on her. Right. She's wrap, you know wrapping up the uh, the contracts over there, racking them up just to you know in her thirties. She's still killing it, still feeling good. So why not? And I know she missed a few years injury, so she's you know still keen to to get out there and make some moolah while she still can and good on her. Okay. What about the competitiveness uh, within the team? I know you only had a, had a couple of days of camp as well, but I mean, this is going to be a tournament that I imagine even these girls that maybe if they've only just had their first taste, are just like, screw that. I want to be a part of this and, and there is going to be competition there. So how did you find it uh, from that point of view? Cause I have to imagine there has to be some healthy competitiveness among the team. I think when you play at this level, especially come Opal's camp, like everyone that, you know, is relatively successful in this game or any athlete uh, is a little bit competitive, to say the least. So, yeah, I mean, there are some uncalled fouls and I don't think there's any fouls called at all at, at sessions, but a um, few, few noises made. But, nah, it's everyone takes it in their stride. Everyone's playing really hard. I mean, Japan, they don't really they play five people fouling at one time. So we just kind of had to become accustomed to everyone having hands on, like you're not going to get every call. So coming from NBL one level for all of us back into the, an Opal's fold and having the high quality IQ and, you know, physicality was, um, I actually, I quite enjoyed it just because I missed that a little bit, that high IQ kind of vibe, um, you know, fills that void a little bit. Not the NBL one's great, but, you know, you come into an environment with, you know, the best of the best, come together and it um it can be really you know it's a challenge and it's um it's fun you know I love that high high intense basketball and um it, it was a solid week and I think the young girls they're constantly pushing us to be better um which essentially makes us all better you know they're no matter who makes the team whoever's been a part of the journey um essentially you know even if they don't make the 12 has helped us get to where we are and I, I like to remind them of that because I used to be that young girl I've been in this, this squad since 2008 and I didn't make my first team since, since uh, till 2013 so and I've been really fortunate to make every team since but it's been hard work but I feel you know that big chunk years for the five years that I was just you know I felt like I was just training bait for a while 
um, you just have to really grind it out. And I, I want to make sure those young kids that are in those positions, they could make it earlier than me, but um, they could make it this year. I don't know, but I just want them to understand that how much they of importance they are to the journey um, because they are. They help us, they push us to be better because they're pushing for a spot. And then one of them might have a spot, who knows? So let's, uh, let me ask you about the end of this game on Tuesday. So I'm sitting there and I'm like thinking, okay, well, this is a close game. And yeah, regardless of whether the win or the loss necessarily means a lot in the grand scheme of things, it's good practice to be in, in a close game down the stretch. So you hit the three, you bring it back to two points. It's an incredible shot, by the way. It's like a very high degree of difficulty. You knock that down. Uh, and then I, I was curious, you know, with only a two-second differential there, and I went back and I watched it again, and there's no signal from the bench about any type of scenario. How do you as a player or, or you girls in general work through that scenario? Because in the end, for those people that weren't watching Japan, ran out the clock, you, you guys ended up having the ball sideline with 2.5 to go. Yeah, that was a really challenging one because of the position of the ball in the backcourt. It was like not even close to halfway. It was like hard, it was almost like foul line extended, maybe just a bit higher. So it was a really tough pass um, for it to get in and set a back screen for a guard. It would have been a, like a Hail Mary like as well. So any shot that we took was going to be a bit of a Hail Mary like, you know, they were obviously going to pressure and switch and there was 2.5 seconds. So I think in our huddle, there was just like we were trying to get like a bit of a decoy action happening for a back pick for me. And if I if they crowded the keyway for like an alley-oop play, it was a long pass for Sarah. I think our idea was if they if they did crowd the key because they had consistently been doing that. And, I mean, of course, I was taller than all of them. So I was like, well, we got 2.5, just throw it up. Um, and, I mean, the clock doesn't start till I catch it, right? <laughs> I didn't catch it, though. <laughs> it hit the backboard. Um, but then we were just going to try and use that as a decoy and get like Darcy on the wing or something. Um, and that was kind of our plan. It wasn't a great plan. We hadn't really done anything in our in our minds to really execute that in a great way. But um, we tried, and there was two point five. And I think that's obviously something we'll, we'll continue to work on. We have to have end of game plays. But in that moment, because of where the ball was, I don't think in my career I've ever had a, a positioning like that. Usually, it's at least at the halfway line, um, or it's at least at least brought forward. But we had it in the backcourt where we did, and it was it was just a bit challenging. Sarah almost got the pass off. It hit the bottom of the backboard. Um, maybe I could have tried to catch it a bit better. Maybe I should have pushed her off a bit better. What if, what if, what if? Um, but I think in the, that moment, we all kind of collectively came together. We just tried to create a bit of a diversion um, to, yeah, either, like I said, either they were going to crowd, we'd have maybe a, a long pass for a three or a slam dunk by me. So <laughs> that was kind of what we quickly came up with. And then we actually had more time than we anticipated. So we ran over to um, our bench. I don't know if you saw that part before because we had they were fixing the clock, so we quickly yeah. ran over, and essentially it was just like a diversion play, a back screen, um, to get something get something happening. So obviously the pass was quite difficult because it was so far away. It was a real baseball swing. So yeah, I and I should say credit to Sarah. It looked like she was trying to sneak up the sideline a little bit further as well. So uh, full credit for that. Uh, you mentioned the WNBA girls that are coming back, and I was just looking at the schedule. So clearly this isn't going to impact everyone. But again, when you talk about scheduling leading up to a major tournament, so I believe the last date that the WNBA season can finish is September 20. Your first game of the Women's World Cup is September 22, which obviously I don't need to tell you that. Uh, it, it is, it's crazy to me. Then when you consider the scheduling of the Women's World Cup, which I can't remember seeing a schedule. So you guys play back to back, you have right. one day off and then back to back to back. How, how do you girls feel about that? It, it seems insane to me. It is pretty crazy. And I remember um, actually two points to what you just said. There was at one stage um, like earlier this year or even later last year when they were talking about scheduling, there was a time where the WNBA players that were in the, the grand final or the playoff series in the States were going to miss the first game. So that would be a big chunk of like USA. I mean, you know, at least two or three players from USA as well. Um, so, but now they've obviously changed that, which still two days, but with travel time, it's pushing it, right? So like, yay. Um, obviously you want them to have success over there, but it's, you know, it's a bit conflicting, but that's just how the cookie crumbles in that case. Um, but yeah, so in 2018, we had our series, like our regular rounds and then the finals came around. We had a day off and then we went quarters, semis, gold. So on the gold medal day, 
Like we just beat Spain in Spain in front of 6,000 booing fans, took all the emotional and physical energy out of us. Like we were spent. We celebrated after that. Like we just guaranteed ourselves a medal. We were so high. Couldn't sleep till 4 a.m. Had to wake up after five hours sleep and play a gold medal game versus USA. And they could bring three USA teams out and be just as tough. You know what I mean? Like they've got the, the privilege of being able to be so deep and they've got, what, 300 million people in their country and we have, what, you know, 27. So, like, just they've just got a huge team to select from, a huge squad. And so they're very talented. We can sub in five on, five off. Um, and to play against them and to beat them, you have to be so sharp and so switched on. Otherwise, they just absolutely just, you know, push it down your throats. So, I mean, unfortunately, I just don't think we had anything left in the tank from our night before, but it also gave our benches, like the Alanas and the Ezzies, who were quite young at that time, like good opportunity. Uh, I think we only went down by like 15. Um, but... Who knows if we had an extra day off in between just to get a better sleep or something. So in saying that, the schedule for this this upcoming World Cup is actually crazy, um, but not much we can do about it other than just come in as fit as possible, as ready as possible. And, I mean, this week was a kind of a bit of a test of 10 days, fitness testing, pretty sore after that, a few days at camp, and then, um, you know, the three, uh, three games first, you know, the quickest team in the world probably. So... Um, gave us a bit of a taste of you know getting our body ready there was a lot of media this week um, there was a lot of like meetings like for culture and stuff this week amongst our group um, so it was very busy not a lot of downtime but it, I think it just was a bit of a tester to you know get ready for September and yeah like everyone's in the same boat so what do you do you just have to come in as prepared as possible I think physically you can prepare yourself but I think a lot of the time it's, it's going to be mental on this because you know, there's this really not a lot of downtime and you've really got to stay super super sharp and focused because I mean, our pool, both pools are super tough, but we have just got back to back to back to back. Like everyone in our pool is just tough. So, but we're tough too. So we'll be ready. And um, we've got a point to prove from Tokyo, you know, like uh, we've got more prep time. We've had more prep time already now since before, like before Tokyo, we had nothing. So we've already, you know, done above and beyond our prep from last year. So um Look, I, I'm, I'm excited about what's to come and we all want a podium finish, especially at home. So um, whatever that looks like, I just would like to be on the podium and um, obviously ideally gold. But um, a podium finish would be ideal for the Opals and I, I think we're more than capable. Uh, what are those meetings about when you talk about culture? I mean, and clearly for the girls that were there in Tokyo, there was lessons learned from that. Uh, and and a, a big part of it you've all spoken about is the preparation or the lack thereof. So when you are having these meetings for culture, is that about the new girls that are in the squad? Or is it about you, all you guys getting together and, and sort of re-establishing uh, what it is you, you want to have over the ne- next period, this World Cup, the Olympics? Yeah, it's definitely a bit of both. Like the Opal's legacy piece, like for the last two decades and longer, has been so amazing. And such a success has come from the program with winning medals, especially since like Sydney 2000. Like just, I mean, they won bronze in 96, didn't they? What colour they went in 96? Maybe I'm wrong. Am I wrong? What am I? I would have to go back. I was just a young fella uh, back then, Kayla. Oh, I should probably know. Well, anyways, <laughs> gone before before Sydney, you know, like Michelle Timms era, Robert Ma, like, you know, they really set the precedence for, for, you know, those legacy pieces to come for the last two and a bit decades. It's just been an amazing legacy piece. I've said legacy like 300 times in this one sentence. Like it's, it's such a – I play – the opals and it's it's my favorite team and i like the green and gold i'm just so humbled to be a part of the legacy piece you know there's the past the current and then the the ones to come and I, we want that culture piece to be special and for there to be an understanding all the way through um so we've just kind of since tokyo we've kind of just had a reset and we've kind of established and more of like a a memory of what our legacy piece was previously um and where it needs to be from here on out and um yeah just a bit of a no bullshit rule you know we adhere to the, the culture and we're all on the same page uh bronze medalist 1996 uh great team I, uh, yeah, you, did, you did know that and by the way i should also know that off the top of my head so that's that's uh no good for me i'm guessing and i shouldn't have. it must be the fatigue so i've just been playing japan i'm a bit tired <laughs> i well, you, you have mentioned in this chat uh, there is a long history of of really dominance 
bigs, dominant centers that have played for the, for the Opals over the years. And there is such a fascination and I think excitement around Ezzy and you mentioned her before, and she's still only 22, which is kind of crazy when you think that she's only 22, but it feels like she's been one of the girls that has been with this team for a number of tournaments. Now, uh, I imagine when you talk about the training camps that you're actually able to have, uh, you get to play against her. So what is it about Ezzy or how do you have you seen her grow the last couple of years and what do you see in the future? Because again, um, she is someone that people are very excited about. Yeah, look, I've been really fortunate to um, play with Ezzy and know Ezzy since she was 18 years old. Um, well, I met her, I think, when she was at the AOS, you know, in passing. And then you know, when she was 18, was her first in um, at the Com Games, was her first Opals Games, um, in, you know, in the green and gold. So uh, still very young and raw, very quiet. She's definitely come out of her shell. She's, she's a woman. Like, she's uh, an amazing athlete, one of the best in the world. She is so humble. Um, she's actually one of the best humans I know as well. So for role model wise, for the young girls looking up to the Opals and Ezzy, like could not have picked a better human to be this amazing athlete because she's the most genuine person you'll ever meet in your life. Like I don't know if I've, I'm not even just saying that, like I don't know if I've met anyone more genuine than Ezzy. Um, I'm going to like not cry when I talk about her. I miss her. Uh, so I've been playing with her for, with the Boomers and the Opals for like four and a half, five years like such a blessing um, and just to watch her grow and develop. And then our relationship is like, you know, a four or five sister sistership grow and develop. She's like so fun to play with. I just like chuck it up, like go get, <laughs> she is so athletic. And when she's on, it's like fascinating to watch. She's just, you know, her bag of tricks is just incredible. Like her, how, her finesse on things and how she finishes plays and how she gets those rebounds. And she's just, a beautiful gazelle and a bloody ripper human and combined is just, like I said, a real treat for the Aussie public watching and basketball fans just knowing that she is going to be, you know, that centre for us or that forward centre for us for at least the next decade. She, she's incredible. A beautiful gazelle. I'll probably steal that at some <laughs> point in time. Uh, so what does the next few months look like for you? Obviously, you're going to be playing NBL 1. Uh, I understand you girls have got some games. I believe Canada is one of the teams that you'll play. Uh, what does the next few months look like leading into uh, September? Yeah, so in about a month's time, we'll get back together. Just the group, uh, pretty much the same group that was here uh, in Sydney for these games. Maybe add like Zatina, she wasn't in because she was sick. And Keely will come back in. She was a bit sick for the last few games. So there'll be the Australian crew again in Canberra. I'm pretty sure we just got told it's Canberra. So we'll do more fitness testing. So that the really hard one, that it's got to be like the fittest team there. Like it's just an essential part of selection. You've got to be super fit. We've got goals to reach, um, positional goals to reach. Obviously I'm not going to try and be as fit as a point guard, but I'll try because I like to play a bit of point guard sometimes. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, there's that in a month. And then, a month after that, we go to Brooklyn for a camp, which we'll meet up with Sandy and we'll have all the American um, base players there. So we'll be able to at least have our full squad together to, you know, get time together because that's really important. And then after that, uh, the next time we're together will be for pre-worlds and then we'll have those games, uh, those friendlies. I'm not sure whereabouts those friendlies we've played. Um, I know there'll be a little tournament in New Zealand as well. I don't think we'll be a part of that. I know the New Zealand Tall Ferns potentially have some games um, you know, some pre-worlds games uh, for some of the teams coming over. Uh, and I know Canada's one. Uh, I, I'd be lying if I said the other ones. I'd just be making it up. But I do know there's, yeah, what teams coming out. Oh, it changes all the time. So if I said one, it would probably be another one. Um, so that'll be exciting. And I'm sure that that'll probably be around the New South Wales region since, you know, the, the games are there themselves. So it's actually really exciting to not have to go internationally to do the pre-worlds and be away for like this whole month and a bit. Uh, and we just get to be at home. It's actually phenomenal. And like I said earlier, I don't think it'll really hit me until I reflect on it later, how the magnitude of the moment and how special it is to be able to play on home soil, you know? Because you hear that, I mean, the FIBA, the FIBA music that they play, it's like so, I, I just always feel like I'm in Europe when I hear that. So dominating, like you only really ever hear it when you're in Europe because obviously you do a lot of tournaments there. But it's, it's going to be here. I, that's what I think about. Isn't that silly? The, the FIBA music, when I'm going to hear it in Sydney, it's crazy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be Sydney. I mean, I, I think most people would agree it would have been better if it was in Melbourne, but I guess I'll get on a plane and head up. Yes, I, I thought Cairns was a good location for it, so I was happy to be here at the fish tank, mate. Enough, enough uh, I would not complain about going to Cairns, by the way. It's been a while since I, I've been up there. Uh, I mentioned this to you before we started. So one of, the, one of the things over the last 
18 months, I guess it would be that for me personally, um, I haven't written about it. I think when, I think when I've been asked about it, um, for the most part, I've said that, you know, I, I, I think that from what I hear from you girls, every time you're asked about it, which is every time you're interviewed, uh, that the messaging from the girls is we want to move on from all this stuff because the reason we want to move on is because we have a super talented team as we've discussed here. So it wasn't lost on me that again, when you girls are playing in a three-game series, of course, at that exact time, the story comes out with the, with the latest about Liz. So within the group, I'm sure you talk about it because it's impossible not to. Uh, how was that feeling that, again, this became a big story as you girls are together? Sorry, I'll put you on mute because, of course, this topic came up and my dog just crazy. So, so. <laughs> they're, they're sick of it as well, which is fine. We get it. No. Um, yeah, look, a uh, bit over it, to be honest. Um, everything that's kind of, you know, it's kind of all come up again uh, recently, but um, it was really traumatic, hey, like for all of us, and we all dealt with it in our own way. And we've just been so ready to move on and have a narrative of, you know, whoever's in the, the squad and the team want to be there. They love wearing the green and gold. They know what it represents. It's an honour. They respect it and they want to keep the legacy alive because um, it's not just about the current Opals, it's about the past and the ones to come. And there's a lot of respect that goes with the sisterhood. Um, and so absolutely like where we're at now and moving forward is where we want to be and not looking back because uh, the look back is not only unnecessary but um, it's just not needed for our mentals because it was a really traumatic time. And um yeah, that's really, I don't, I don't really know what else to say other than where we're at now is in a really great spot and, you know, always lessons learned from low moments and we've taken a lot of, a lot from that and a lot of lessons from that and we've moved forward and um, we're looking really good culturally. We've never been as sound as what we have um, in the past chunk of time and we're all on the same page, which is so refreshing, like to all be on the same page and all actually want to be there and all happy for each other's successes and to, you know, to hype up your sister girls and to to wear the green and gold together and go to battle together. Like it, it is such a big meaning to do it and to be able to do it and to be proud to do it. So for the ones that are a part of it, that are so proud to do it, that feel so supported, so respected, so loved because we're all in it together and because that's what we do. That's the Opals. We support, we respect and we love. And that's the sisterhood. And that's been there for majority of us. But then now all of us are about it. And that's, that's the rule. You could be a superstar, but unless you come in and you respect the sisterhood and you show love and you get around the girls, then you can't move forward. We just want people that are about that. So that's what we're about moving forward and that's only going to get stronger because that's what the Opals have always been about and we need to kind of bring it back to that point because we kind of got a bit lost in there for a second so we're back and culturally we're really strong and um and that's just with the group that's here in Australia let alone when you add these other Aussies in that feel the same way we just get bigger better and stronger so um I know that Australia have always had like a big center in like you know Lauren or you know other people so you know right now we've always had really strong talent around these superstar centers and so now it's our opportunity to show that, you know what, like here we are, we put in the prep work. We haven't had prep, you know, to play with a big superstar center, but we're here prepping to play a quicker style of basketball um, with this really strong squad that are very capable of doing great things. And now we have the chance to show it. So I'm really excited to, to show that and to change that narrative because we deserve the opportunity to change that narrative. Um, and, you know, no better time to do it than on home soil, right? We'll have the home crowd behind us, and um, I'm really excited. Uh, time to move on. Uh, it's, I mean, every you guys, girls have been saying that for a long time. It's, that's been my response every time because that's what you you girls have been saying. So I, 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 I answer it very similar but differently every time. But I'm pretty yeah. sure that that was probably my best response. I think. No, well, we appreciate it, but no, it's been very consistent in all, in all honesty, and uh, it is a big few months. So last one. I guess for you, you as someone that has, has played in these big tournaments before, you mentioned the support you had uh, this last weekend or these last three games that you played here. Uh, do you feel the support in terms of women's basketball has continued to grow? I think basketball in general in Australia is just going crazy right now. Uh, but in terms yeah. of the women's team, how do we how do we continue to grow this? Uh, and I'm sure it'll build off this tournament here, but how are you feeling as someone that's that's seen it grow over the last decade? 
Yeah, I certainly think it's grown a hell of a lot, but I still think um, like the Opals games and the WNBL, we need to find a way to get it to free to air. I think that's essential because we're missing out on a whole market there. Um, and I think, you know, you can't be what you can't see. It's as cliche as that sounds, but, um, you know, we can, we're compared to like the netball and the AFLW and they're, you know, past us. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got the oldest sporting league in Australia for females. It's over 40 years old and we've been passed by a six-year-old league in the AFLW. And netball, that's really only, you know, they've been around for a hot minute, but not as long as the WNBL. So I think there's ways in that. We've, we've still got to get better in that. And I feel like we should have been elevated a lot more um, and not overtaken by these sports since we've been around longer. Um, but I do see that there has been significant change in, in growth, which is really great. But still, I think I, I am always striving for better for us. I feel like there's always just a grind for us to get seen, get noticed. And, and in the world these days, you know, for the, the top players to get deals, get, you know, promotional work on Instagram, all that kind of stuff, like that's all a part of it. You see the netballers getting it. You see the AFLW getting it, like the special K ads and things like that. You know, I feel like basketball is kind of lacking a little bit. We need to keep, continue to push, but there certainly has been a bigger push and I know that there's some movement around and, and with the World Cup coming, hopefully we get, um, you know, a bit more than what we've had in the last chunk of years anyway because I feel like exposure-wise there's still a little bit to go, but I do agree that it has gotten better but slowly. And, of course, people have accused me of being a selfish reporter in the past, but a great deal with ESPN for the Opals and Boomers moving forward with the yeah. broadcast as well. Yes, that is amazing. I'm really excited about that. Um, but I, I also think, you know, for people like my nan and pop who don't have Foxtel, that they'd love it to be on free to air as well. And I think, I think, you know, hopefully we're close to a deal, fingers crossed, because we're a great product. Um, and, you know, basketball's played um, pretty heavily in this country, especially in Melbourne. It's like the biggest, largest amount of people playing in the Southern Hemisphere, I think, for that region I heard a few years ago. So it's probably, if not bigger now. Um, so... I think, yeah, the free to air will be huge. And I think just even just coverage in the papers and stuff, we'll continue to grind and, and do that because there's a lot of men's basketball, um, but and we'll continue to push for women. Like we have to push our spinal stuff onto like some of like the Melbourne papers, like Herald Sun and, you know, just to make sure that we're, you know, in there, not on just like a little blurb, but we need like photos and spreads and stuff when it's finals time or, you know, games of high importance. So I think there's certainly a long way to go, but we have made a good way so far. But like I said, I think it needs to happen a bit quicker because, we're going to get left behind. AFLW have just had a huge new deal come out. Um, Netball are just killing it as well with, you know, their sponsors and how they go about their business. So um, I think we need to not get left behind too far here and really push forward. You're the best, Kayla. And I can assure you that, first of all, uh, September is going to come around really quickly. But secondly, I can assure you this won't be the last time I'm, I'm hassling you before September, during September, during the tournament. So oh, okay. uh, the 22nd can we do a zoom sure let's do it uh i, I will ask um i'll always ask uh half time after the game whatever it may be but we appreciate <laughs> the time it's always fun to chat thanks mate appreciate you joining us now on a uh good week uh for this man locking in a new deal with the nbl champion sydney kings dj Vasevich. always good to chat to you man uh you've been doing a bit of media this week uh hopefully we're not stretching you too thin here no no i actually enjoy it um, I think it might be the next profession after basketball, just trying to see, you know, what I can do, you know, some ideas, life after basketball. So I don't mind it. Uh, Damien Martin does a pretty good job over in Perth doing the sidelines. We even saw Jock Landau came down and he, he did everything he could possibly do. He was doing courtside stuff for a Melbourne game. It's, I can say it's, I feel like it's a pretty good gig. That would be a smart oh, move. hundred percent. I mean, we both got sacked after one game, I guess, because I didn't see him after that, but. No, it's cool. It's actually cool. You just get to enjoy and you kind of analyze it from a player's perspective. And obviously, Matty Garrick did a few as well. So, so it's kind of cool to see, you know, everyone getting involved, really. Uh, so I mentioned the contract. So uh, this was uh, one of the biggest signings, I think, so far that we've seen with the NBL free agency. And I, I don't think it was a huge shock. I think uh, for the most part, uh, most of the Sydney Kings guys have come out and said, well, we'd love to be back. We'll see what happens after this, but if we're going to be playing in the NBL, we're going to stay here and why wouldn't you? Uh, but was it any type of weight off your shoulders? How much do you think about it over this last couple of weeks? Uh, it was stressful. Let me get you that. Cause like we kept bouncing for the contract here and there with like, obviously my manager, my agent and the Sydney Kings is trying to make sure everything was right. And you know, it, was, it took us really seven days to get everything sorted. So those seven days were really stressful. And ever since I signed much more relaxed. So, you know, it's a, it's a big weight off my shoulders. 
and obviously your agent does the the heavy lifting here and the kings are involved there is it are you getting updated daily every few hours what's your involvement uh in this process um i was bringing the phone call from my agent maybe every two hours and then you know in the early hours of the morning late hours of the night like we were just trying to get things done and yeah it was just like playing phone tag back and forth so as i said big way off my shoulders and i'm glad to kind of be back with the Sydney kings uh you mentioned this uh with the guys the other day when you were talking about it and they were and it's it's the obvious question what what's the next few months going to look like for you uh, it's not anything weird with nbl contracts in fact this is why i think uh a lot of agents and people overseas like the nbl because they're pretty open with the the nba out clauses european out clauses and those types of things so what, what is the next few months look like for you yeah so obviously i'm playing the nbl one now with don valley and kind of just preparing myself for the summer league Supposed to know end of this week, you know, early next week, exactly which team I'll be playing for. And I think I'm leaving at the end of this month. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what team. Obviously, my agent's taking his time because I want to be on a roster where people want me and I can earn the minutes and play and kind of showcase what I want. So he's not just throwing me on a team where you're just there to, you know, be on the bench. So he's doing a good job with that. But yeah, the contract, obviously, we got the European out and the NBA out. So Sydney is really good with that stuff because they understand that. I can't play high-level Europe. There's a chance of me playing the NBA and they're not going to stop me from pursuing my dreams. And if it doesn't work out this year, I'm, I'm glad to be back with the Sydney Kings, you know, defend the championship and kind of go from there. I've heard you talk about the Boomers before. Uh, and this is kind of, I don't know whether you look at it as unfortunate timing, but Summer League kind of falls right over these games that are here in Melbourne. And we had Gorge on here last week and he said he's talking to a bunch of guys. Did, did they at least put the feelers out with you? And then secondly, with the Summer League experience, did you talk to anyone that's been to Summer League before and why ultimately uh, do you think that's the, the best path to try and get where you want to get to? Yeah, yeah. Basketball Australia reached out. I had a few people call me at once saying, hey, look, we'd <laughs> like to have you for the qualifiers in the Asia Cup. And obviously I didn't get an opportunity to go to Summer League after college because of COVID and last year because I tore my Achilles. So I think for me, it was just, I just want an opportunity to go and showcase what I can do and kind of do it at a young age. I'm only still 25, but, you know, I, I said I'm always going to put my hand up for the boomers. So another opportunity comes around, they want me to play, I'll 100%, you know, put on the green and gold. Uh, so you mentioned college and it's interesting now. And uh, I think everyone's looking at all the guys that are over there playing now. And it, if you're not tracking it, it's kind of shocking to look at how many Aussie kids are over there playing. And now you see, since you were at college, the other options, guys are staying in the NBL, guys are staying in the G League. So uh, what do you think when you look back, the college experience did for you? And then how do you look at it now? Do you look at it any differently a few years down the track of, of whether what the other opportunities can bring you or what you may have done? Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed college. I got no regrets. Obviously, I got a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. So something came out of it for sure. But nowadays, you know, all the money that's being thrown with the NIL deals and stuff like that, it's just, seeing people come back for like their sixth year, seventh year and just making more money than they would in the pros. So that's kind of the biggest like weird thing to me. Like, are you actually there to play basketball or just collect another paycheck? So for me, I enjoyed the college experience. I love, you know, going to frat parties or going to hang out with people and kind of forming connections at Miami is a multicultural school. So everyone from different parts of the area and obviously playing in the best conference in college basketball, you know, the ACC um, against great talent every night. Um, you've spoken about the injury a lot and, and I've heard you mention before that the hardest point for you was directly after the surgery. And I guess you probably wonder what's next, how you, how you get back. Uh, at what point for you, because once you got back to the court, you looked, you looked yourself straight away. But at what point after the surgery did it, did it start to turn for you where you're like, all right, I, I can't stay in this dark place or I can't stay feeling negative about everything that's happened and then turn because that's not an easy place to get to. Yeah. I mean, obviously I mean, when it happened, I just accepted it and I was like, all right, we're going to attack this. But once you have surgery and then obviously you get the pain from the surgery and all this stuff, like you don't want to deal with it anymore. Like I was dealing with pain for a good seven days. Every time I kind of was crutching around, trying to go from one room to another. And I just didn't enjoy that part. And obviously not being able to walk, always had to ask someone for help and stuff like that. Like that was the darkest. And then once I was able to do stuff on my own feet and learning how to walk again, that's kind of what made me happy. Uh, I said, I spoke to, to Jack White back at media day and everyone always gets stuck into me for bringing this up. So that's, I kind of enjoy bringing it up a lot, but I, I had three knee recos myself. And for me, it was like, 
garbage bag to shower, all sorts of just annoying stuff that you have to do. But then once you start doing things again, did you think about it a lot? Do you think about the injury? Was it uh, the confidence side of things difficult for you once you were starting to get active and, and build that strength back? Um, yeah, I think, you know, obviously what you said with the garbage bag and stuff, like I was hopping <laughs> around everywhere and then kind of hopping in the shower, you got to sit in the chair and it just felt yeah. weird. Like you just can't take a proper shower, honestly. Like you're just pretty much rinsing yourself up, putting on some soap and going like that. But, you know, once you come back and being able to, you know, put on your own shoes and socks and, you know, you have to take your time walking down the stairs because, again, you're just learning how to walk and stuff. So, yeah, it's just I never take my feet for granted again. Like I'd rather have both my feet, you know, perfectly fine moving forward. I don't know if I've heard you get into this like specifically, but just when I was looking back, because I was trying to remember what was the first game you played. And let's say not a great night for the Sydney Kings, uh, the team. You play Melbourne United. Uh, you actually checked into this game after halftime. I believe that's right. Yeah. Uh, at, at that point, you're already losing 55 to 21. You end up losing the game 89 to 47. So I'm curious. I'm curious what your emotions are. This is obviously an incredible moment for you and something you've thought about a lot. And you come out and play in this historic loss. So I imagine inside you're happy and excited and feeling good, but the team is obviously down after the loss. Yeah. I mean, I was jittery. I wanted to play in the first half. You know, yeah. I just want to get out there and help my team, but I wasn't allowed because I was only on an eight minute uh, restriction. So once I got out there, it was just good to kind of. Even though we were down by so much, all my teammates kind of rallied around me and, you know, said, hey, welcome back. You know, just shoot whatever you get. Like, they wanted me to kind of build that rhythm. They understood the game was already lost. We were down, as you said, 34 at the time. And, yeah, we lost by so much. But we've been that game right after and then bounced back against Southeast on that Saturday the way we wanted to. Uh, maybe it's for the best that that was the situation. Maybe it made it easier. I don't know. Is that is the – you yeah. probably would have preferred to win, but – I mean, win or loss, like, just being able to come back and, and just getting out there. Like, I think losing by so much, you know, eased the pressure off me. Like, if I was to come in on a tie game and miss a few shots, I probably would have become really frustrated and probably done some dumb things. So, you know, being down by so much really had its perks. So it just allowed me to play, play a little freely with the boys, even though we lost by so much. And that, um, that confidence again. So you're, you're back on the floor, if you can remember back. And clearly by that point, you've done scrimmages, you've practiced, you've done all the tests you need to do. So you're good to go. But being back on the floor, is there any thoughts about anything or does it just feel like you're playing basketball? Uh, I was a little hesitant at the start, like trying to push off and you know, trying to drive and stuff because that's how I did it. Like I, all I did was push back and snap. So it'll always stick in the back of your mind no matter what. So for me, it was about getting that rhythm and, you know, getting enough reps and practice and scrimmaging for longer periods, knowing like, hey, the surgeon fixed this really good. It's not going to break again. So you just got to trust in people's, you know, work, what they do for you. Um, you, you spoke about it before. Obviously, you're, oh, you know Jack well and you're in contact with him through the season. But as you guys and both of you guys had really remarkable seasons to come back and play the way you did, I think you're both going to be over there uh, at Summer League as well through the season. Uh, did you check in with each other? Uh, I, I guess support each other. I'd say Sydney Melbourne is a fair old rivalry, but as two guys that have been through something so serious, yeah, hundred percent. Obviously, he plays for United. I play for Sydney. We kind of <laughs> set aside the rivalry and kind of known him for a while now. So we were exchanging notes. I know my physio and his physio were calling each other once a week, kind of exchanging notes there to see, you know, if they were doing, we were doing anything different, or if they were doing anything different. So just kind of bounce it back because, hey, like we're both great young talents. You know, he had a remarkable you know, rookie year as well for United and uh, for him to go down as well than me, like you, you don't want that in, in, in the young in young guys like that. So, yeah, we, we, we talk once or twice a week easily. We get on the phone, we exchange messages and, and go from there. Like we're happy to be back now. Uh, this Kings team was stacked, I think it's fair to say. It was stacked. And what role do you think – unselfishness played in the success for this team? Um, I think once we understood everyone's role and we went on that win streak, we're like, we can win this thing. Like, doesn't matter if Jalen goes for 30 or X goes for 20, 10 and 5 like he usually does or Ian comes off the bench and has a big game or I do something or, you know, Swax, you know, shutting down people, making shots. Like, you know, obviously, Darrell, one of the best bigs in the league to, in my eyes. So 
we all understood anyone can get theirs at any time. We just had to lock in together and we knew we could do something special. We were, I think, three and seven or three and six when we lost to Brisbane, uh, in Brisbane. And we kind of just, you know, checked ourselves in the locker room and said, hey, this isn't us. Like, we got to be better. And then once we went on a little roll, it kind of clicked and we understood, hey, this is working. So let's keep it rolling like this. And now we're champs. So no one can take that away from us. I think Chase has certainly spoke about it and and Bogut and, and all those guys have said that they had meetings that they're like, okay, this is, you know, regardless of the health stuff that was going on at the time, this is not the way we saw this going on. And they said there was a minor level of stress that, hey, we don't have much time to figure this out. And you mentioned the 13 games. I think it was 15 wins out of 17 to finish the regular season. And even still, you didn't have home court advantage, which is just insane to think about. You had to go on that run to get there. So when you say that the players spoke to each other, that's what it was about. It was about role definition. It was about uh, being unselfish and not necessarily worrying too much about your own game. Did you think that that needed to change? A hundred percent. I think it started at practice. You know, we had guys that would barely play or play, you know, just three to five minutes a game. And they're the ones that actually helped us prepare for games. You know, they'd come in every day. They wouldn't salt. They wouldn't, you know, put their head down. Go, oh, I'm not playing this week. So doesn't mean I train hard. Like those guys push us to the limit. Like, <coughs> excuse me. They would push us in practice. Like the bench were beating us in practice. They were beating the stars to the point where we got mad at each other. Then we we're like, all right, we got to beat these guys. So they prepared us well. Uh, did you yourself with your role? And, and again, it's like a big season for you. You're coming back. Um, and in the end, if you look at even the shot disparity between, if you want to call them the five main guys with Ian, uh, Jalen, Gerald, Xavier, yourself, you all had double digit shots per game. Uh, how did you see your role playing out? Because I, I would say, and I said, I think this is the case for all you guys. It felt like you all fit in well together, but you could all go to another level, perhaps if you were on some other team or, or there wasn't as many stars. How did you uh, see that play out? Yeah, I think you tweeted it perfectly. It was the death lineup. No one wanted to see that. So we didn't see many of it, many of that lineup, to be honest, obviously with all the injuries and stuff, especially in the final when Jalen went down. So, yeah, we just enjoy playing with each other. I think it's just remarkable when someone goes off, you're like, all right, let's go get him a shot. Or, wow, he does, you know, ridiculous, spectacular plays, stuff like that. We understood anyone could score at any time. And it was hard to guard all five. So we were really good at, all right, if Jalen's getting double teamed, we're going to hit the roller, hit X, let him go finish, or just kind of pick things apart. And we understood we were all going to get shots at certain times. So we just had to accept that. I was looking up some numbers last night. Uh, who do you think, it's a bit of trivia, who do you think on your team had the most spot-up opportunities this season? I, I don't know whether yeah. I was surprised by this or not. From like the three-point line? Yeah. Uh, probably, I don't know, maybe Swark or Jarrell? Yeah, so it's Jarrell, which is like, and you were only a couple behind. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's insane to me that a player like Jarrell Martin is the guy that's getting the most spot-up opportunities because we saw in game three and we saw throughout the full season but certainly in that game three when you're just talking about a guy that if he wants to play that physical style is he's, he's unstoppable you're not going to stop him in the paint you're not going to stop him when he's playing that way but yet a lot of times he's just like all right i'm just going to hit 42 43 on spot up threes uh it was just a ridiculous amount of weapons on this team yeah 100 percent. and i think you know Darrell had a up and down season last season just because of dealing with some injuries and he came in fully healthy no injuries and bothering him. And obviously playing with X, we understood if Jarrell was setting the screen, X would always be in the dunker spot. So there was no point having Jarrell rolling. So he'd always pop at times and find himself open. And he practices those, like, you know, spot up threes. So we trust him. And it's hard to defend when you've got to stretch five uh, in Rel. Uh What about your games specifically? I already mentioned that it did feel like you guys were playing within yourself you spoke about the confidence you got back putting the ball on the floor get into the rack which is clearly you were efficient in doing so even though it wasn't your number one option this season probably based on this team so uh where do you see is the next level whether it's confidence wise with the injuries or role definition of where you see your game going to um well signing this new contract they've kind of given me the burden of hey come prepare because you're going to be one of the main guys obviously we don't know what imports we're going to bring in. We don't know if X will come back. Obviously, he's had a fantastic year. So I think for me, it's got to be that confidence. And I think it's going to come from this, you know, off-season, preseason of getting a good, you know, workout with my trainer, coming back to the preseason with the Kings and, and kind of go to the summer league. That's like the main goal is just getting my legs under me and 
preparing for what's next, really, because, you know, in the NBA 1, I'm playing a point guard. Like, if the Kings throw me in that situation, I'm happily going to do it because I'm working on it right now. So it's just going to be interesting to see how things pan out the next couple of months. Yeah, I messaged you about some of the deep threes in NBL 1. So what are you? What do you, as a player like you that's already a star at the NBL level, could play at a higher level, what do you try and get out of NBL 1? Uh, just trying to explore different shots and kind of prepare for the summer league. I said on overtime, it was like, when I'm working with my trainer now, I'm trying to implement it in games and, you know, post up and kind of make a move and kind of reading the defense. But obviously when you play in the NBA, the three-point line's further. Sometimes they'll play you right on the three, so you got to shoot a little further. So I'm just exploring, kind of having fun with it. Like my dad hates it. Like, you know, the threes I've been pulling up from like one step over half quarter and stuff, uh, he hates it. But again, I've been practicing those and I, and I hit most of them. So, you know, you might see that in the NBA here and there if you know, I start launching from there. Okay, what about Chase? Does Because uh, you had a number of guys. Jalen would be happy to pull up from the logo. You would do it. Uh, Ian would do it. Uh, was Chase uh, the ultimate green light coach? Hell yeah, he was. He just let us rock. And he understood, like, all right, if it's a bad shot, we'll, we'll say it was and kind of, you know, make up for on defensive end and then have a great possession down the offensive end. So, yeah, I mean, you never know what's going to happen now. Uh, through the season, did you guys, with so many guys that could take the step up, uh, did you guys ever discuss, and obviously you stay locked into the season you have, but future plans, how you can get better. Uh, did those conversations ever come up? Oh, we had chats here and there, but we were staying so locked in. We kept saying like, there's always going to be people that take great people at their roles, like what we were playing, everyone, and then a championship player as well, because we have that experience. So we were so locked in and winning this championship for the city and kind of doing it for each other that we understood like this might be the only time we get to play with one another again. Like, I don't know if I'll ever play with Ian Clark or if I'll ever play with, you know, Jalen or, or Rel. I'll probably play with X and the Boomers, so I'll, I'll say that. But those guys, I might not ever play again, so we did it for one another. Uh, do you speak to them? At, do you have any involvement with free agent stuff? Do you just let the guys do their thing? Uh, because I imagine if, if things work out, and of course, like I said, a lot of you guys, we want to play at a higher level, but I, I get the sense from seeing you guys through the season, seeing you guys after the grand final that you had – fun together and it wouldn't be the worst idea if you guys did get back together next year or a number of you yeah i mean hey you know, obviously we've got a salary cap so we all just got to kind of <laughs> move around things there but yeah i mean we've talked about you know trying to get everyone back and kind of playing together but again you want people to succeed so no matter where people go in life you're always going to follow them and kind of root for them so you know if we don't play together you know we wish each other the best moving forward and we're always going to support one another is there any money left after your deal or did you just... Uh... Uh, no, no, there's plenty left. Don't worry. Don't worry. There's plenty. Uh, how many times have you watched your shot? Uh, to be honest, not a few. I think my parents have watched it more than I have. I'm just trying to... I enjoy the moment. Like, it happened. I move forward. I'm a champion. But I'm a guy that now in the off-season, I'll go work out, I'll go to the gym, and, and I just chill out. I'll go chill with my mates, you know, play video games and kind of let it slide. Like, if it comes up on my memory sometime, I'll watch it, but... Yeah, there was a nice highlight take the NBL made the other day. So kind of, I mean, rewatching that more than I've been watching the shot. For sure. I, but there are, you know, game winners. There's different game winners and Jalen had a bunch of them through the season. But in terms of um, historical purposes, do you ever actually think and say, okay, well, this will be legitimately 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. That will be something that'll be a part of you know, the all-time great shots. I mean, it is, it was, or it is a, a historical moment. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I mean, we got to the point where I hit it and we all celebrated and then we ended up winning a championship. That pretty much decided it, obviously. If I was to miss, Tazzy would have had a chance. And the way Josh Adams was playing, anything that was going up was going in. So anything could have happened. So I definitely think, you know, 30, 40 years time from now, it'll be probably up there for one of the best shots ever. You mentioned Josh Adams and he was going nuts in that game three as well but the whole tassie team was and i know it was a while ago now you've spoken about it uh, in different different ways but as you think about that game three in particular which by the way i said to you was the first time i've been in that arena is legitimately an nba it feels like you're at an nba game with the atmosphere with the entertainment with the music everything they've got going on uh, as a player when the opposition is just hitting shot after shot after shot uh how do you work through that do you is it just like well whatever we're, we're happy with how we're defending we're just going to ride this out and then we're confident we're going to get over them what was your thoughts i mean 
when my mate Jock Perry came in and hit two threes <laughs> back to back, I was like, okay, these guys have just hit everything. It's it's not gonna last the whole game and you know, it lasted till three quarter time and then we turned on the Jets, put on the pressure and ended up winning it. So unless you can sustain it against us for a full four quarters, we understand like they're gonna be a little period where we're gonna get stops because they're missing shots and when we're gonna score down the other end and it's kind of gonna ruin their momentum. So uh, full credit to the Jack Jumpers. I actually picked them to beat United. I said in the locker room before they played game one, they're going to win this 2-1. They'll lose the first one, win the next two, and it's going to be because of Josh Adams. And he went ballistic. So, obviously, he did went, went ballistic against us as well, but we were able to compose ourselves, you know, having, you know, fought the, the, the death lineup, you call it. So, we were all able to kind of go out and perform. I said very early on in the season that, and I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs at the time, but I said this team is the biggest pain in the ass in the league. It, is that what it felt like playing against this Tasmania team? Because it just, it was crazy to me, the consistency of how night in, night out, nothing was easy for anyone against that, that uh, whole Jack Jumpers team. They were so tough and physical. Like it was like you're playing AFL, like every, everywhere you were running, you'd always get nudged or hit and the refs wouldn't call them <laughs> because that was their style. They were playing with toughness. So yeah, I mean, full credit to them. Like they pushed us and yeah, their toughness got them over the line. Like, making it to the playoffs. So full credit to them and Scott Roth as well. All right. Last one before we wrap this up, NBA final starts tomorrow. Uh, what are you thinking? Um, I'm thinking the Warriors experience, but this is going to be a very close finals. Like I'm really looking forward to just seeing like, you know, the young guys versus the vets. That's kind of the way I view it. And it's people that they've drafted and kind of form the team around. It's not like, you go out and get players and compete like some teams have done in the past. So I'll look forward to it. I think the Warriors will get them in six games, though, and it'll be very close. I think you're right, but uh, what would I know? So uh, we will <laughs> we will wrap it there. Someone's trying to call you, DJ. We better let you go. But you are uh, – it's always great to catch up with you. We appreciate your time. I said you've been doing a bit this week, but uh, go catch DJ playing NBL1 here for the next few weeks before he's out of here. But we uh, wish you the best and look forward to seeing you at Summer League. No, I appreciate it. Thank you very much.